chapter two of dr luttrell's first patient by rosa nuchette carey this librivox recording is in the public domain the mysterious stranger i at least will do my duty caesar young mrs luttrell stood at the window one november afternoon buttoning her gloves in an absent and perfunctory manner as she looked out at the slushy road and greasy pavement there was a crinkle on her smooth broad forehead and an uneasy expression in her eyes as though some troublesome thought had obtruded itself presently the crinkle deepened and widened into a frown and she walked impatiently to the fireplace where a black uninviting fire smouldered in a cheerless sort of way and took up the poker in rather an aggressive manner then shook her head as she glanced at the half-empty coal scuttle she was cold and the clinging damp peculiar to november made her shiver but a cheery blaze would be too great a self-indulgence left to itself the fire would last until tea-time she would be back in plenty of time for marcus's late tea he should have a warm clear fire to welcome him and a plate of smoking french toast because it was so economical and only took half the amount of butter it had been a favourite delicacy in her nursery days and the revival had given her great solace yes he should have his tea first and then she would bring in the vexed subject for argument in spite of aunt madge's well-meant advice it was a foregone conclusion in olivia's mind that martha must go of course it was a pity she liked the girl she was so willing and good-tempered and her round childish face was always well washed and free from smudges and she was so good to dot caring for her as if she were a baby sister of her own nevertheless stern in her youthful integrity olivia had already decided that martha's hours at the corner house were numbered and then there was the stuff for dot's new winter police marcus would give her the few shillings without a murmur she was sure of that but he would sigh furtively as he counted out the coins whatever deprivations they might be called upon to endure the little one must be warmly clad she must do without her new pair of gloves that was all and here olivia looked disconsolately at her worn finger-tips she could ink the seams and use her old muff and no one would notice what was the use of buying new gloves when her hands would soon be as red and rough as martha's olivia was just a little vain of her hands they were not small but the long slender fingers with almond-shaped nails were full of character and marcus had often praised them for his sake she would try to take care of them but black letting stoves and washing dot's little garments would not help to beautify them of course it was nonsense to care about such trifles she must be strong-minded and live above such sublunary things marcus would only honour her the more for her self-forgetfulness and labours of love here the pucker vanished from olivia's brow and a sweet earnest look came to her face the next moment her attention was distracted a tall old man in a great coat with a fur-lined collar passed the window he was a little bent and walked feebly leaning on a gold-headed stick olivia watched him until he was out of sight for some occult reason not comprehensible even to her she felt interested in the old man although 
she had never spoken to him but he looked old and ill and lonely three decided claims on olivia's bountiful and sympathetic nature she knew his name mr gaythorne he was a neighbour of theirs and he lived at galveston house the dull-looking red brick house with two stone lines on the gate-posts olivia had amused her husband more than once with imaginary stories about their neighbour he was a miser a recluse a misanthrope he had a wife in a lunatic asylum he had known some great trouble that had embittered his life he had made a vow never to let a human being cross his threshold he was a roman catholic priest in disguise an agnostic a nihilist there was no end to olivia's quaint surmises but she could only be certain of two facts that the mysterious mr gaythorne was methodical by nature and whatever it might be the weather always took his exercise at the same hour and also that only tradespeople entered the lion-guarded portals of galveston house olivia had only once come face to face with him she was hurrying along one afternoon when in turning a corner she almost ran against him and pulled herself up with a confused word of apology a suppressed grunt answered her a singular old face with bright deeply sunken eyes and a white peaked beard and moustache seemed to rise stiffly from the fur-lined collar then the old man's hand touched his slouched hat mechanically and he walked on it was that night that olivia was convinced that mr gaythorne was a nihilist and an agnostic and hinted darkly at the storage of dynamite and infernal machines in the cellars of galveston house my dear child you might write a novel had been her husband's remark on this your imagination is really immense but in spite of sarcasm and jibes on marcus's part olivia chose to indulge in these harmless fancies she had always enjoyed making up stories about her neighbours and it did no one any harm when mr gaythorne was out of sight she went to the kitchen to take a last look at dot who was slumbering peacefully in her cot the kitchen was the warmest place and martha could clean her knives and wash her plates and keep an eye on her martha gave her usual broad grin when her mistress entered the little handmaid adored her master mistress and dot during her rare holiday she always entertained her mother and brothers and sisters with wonderful descriptions of her mistress's cleverness and miss baby's ways martha had eleven brothers and sisters and the house in summer's row was not a luxurious abode her mother took in washing and eleven brothers and sisters of all ages and of every variety of snub-nose made any sort of privacy impossible nevertheless on her previous holiday as martha or patty as they called her at home sat in her best blue merino frock with her youngest sister on her lap and a paper bag of sugar-sticks for distribution to the family there were few happier girls to be found anywhere now i have brought you half a pound of really good tea mother observed martha proudly i knew what a treat that would be to you and father you are a good girl patty returned her mother winking away the moisture in her eyes as she went on with her ironing amabel don't you be trampling on patty's best dress there's a good little lass well as i was saying patty only the children do interrupt so there joe and ben just take your sugar sticks and be off to play i think i have found a nice little place for susan she is to sleep at home but will have all her meals and half a crown a week and the lady will teach her everything that is pretty fair for a beginning and as father says the money will just find her in shoe leather and aprons father's looking out for a place for joe now 
i wish susan could have a place like mine mother returned martha proudly they are real gentle folks that is what they are will you be so good as to clean my boots martha or thank you martha when i dry the paper of a morning oh it is like play living at the corner house and as for that darling miss baby but here words failed martha it could not be denied that olivia was unusually depressed that afternoon fog and damp always had this effect on her her nature needed sunshine and crisp bracing air there was no buoyancy and elasticity in her tread when people looked at her as they often did for her pliant slim figure rather attracted notice she thought they were only commenting on her old black hat and jacket only one article of her dress satisfied her her boots were neat and strong marcus had found her one wet day warming her feet at the fire and had gone off to examine her boots without a word olivia had flushed up and looked uncomfortable when he came back with the boots in his hand do you want to be laid up with bronchitis or congestion of the lungs he asked rather sadly as he showed her the thin worn soles do you think that will make things easier for me livy the next day he had taken her himself to the bootmakers and had had her fitted with a serviceable stout pair somehow in spite of her pleasure in the boots and marcus's thoughtfulness she had felt rather like a scolded child her unusual pessimism had a moment's distraction for as she passed the print-shop at the corner of harbutt street she saw her mysterious old gentleman standing still on the pavement fixedly regarding a small oil-painting olivia had a good view of the lean cadaverous face and peaked white beard the heavy grey eyebrows seemed to beetle over the dark sunken eyes after all he looks more like a spaniard than a russian she thought and again her theory of the roman catholic priest came into her mind if i could only see him without his hat i should know if he had a tonsure and then with youthful curiosity she looked to see what picture had interested him it was a small painting of the prodigal son but was evidently by no amateur the face of both father and son were admirably portrayed the strong syrian faces were mellowed by the ruddy gleams of sunset a tame kid was gambolling behind them and two women were grinding corn with the millstone between them on the flat white roof of the house another woman had just laid aside her distaff in a hurry the father's arms with their gold bracelets were clasping the gaunt sharp shoulders of the starving youth olivia knew the picture well marcus had been very much struck with it it was good work he said the syrian faces were perfect types and he had made olivia notice the strong resemblance between father and son that is the mother i suppose had been her comment she has just caught sight of them there is a puzzled look in her eyes as she lays aside her distaff as though she is not quite sure that that wild-looking figure in sheepskin is her own long-lost son it must be a grand thing to be an artist was marcus's reply to this goddard i do not know the name the picture is cheap too only twenty-five pounds but i would wager any money that it was painted in syria olivia stole a second glance at the old man but he never moved then she shivered and walked faster it was bitterly cold a miserable afternoon for marcus who was visiting his poor patients in the squalid back streets and slums that fringed brompton mayfield villas were about ten minutes walk from galveston terrace the villas had verandas and long narrow gardens but most of them had lodgings to let mrs broderick and her maid occupied the first floor at number six the drawing-room and back bedroom belonged to the invalid 
and deborah had a tiny room close by her mistress the other room had been converted into a kitchen none of the rooms were large but they were well furnished and thoroughly comfortable during her husband's lifetime mrs broderick had been comfortably off and had had a good house the carved bookcases turkey carpet and deep easy chairs and a few proof engravings handsomely framed all spoke of better days when olivia's foot sounded on the stairs a tall hard-featured woman came out of the kitchen i knew it was you she said come in my mistress is just wearying for you she never sleeps in daylight and it is ill reading and working in the fading light i will soon have the tea ready i've been baking some scones olivia sniffed the warm perfume delightedly she was hungry oh so hungry although two hours had not elapsed since dinner-time and deb's scones with sweet fresh country butter was ambrosial food don't let deb keep you with her chatter come ben my woman as my poor fergus would have said the voice was peculiarly youthful and melodious the timbre exquisite in modulation and volume but the face belonged to a woman aged more by pain and trouble than years madge broderick had never been a handsome woman her nose was too long and her skin too sallow for beauty but her bright eyes and a certain gracefulness of figure and her beautiful voice had been her charms fergus broderick a rough scotchman with a tongue as uncouth as his native dales had fallen in love with her at their first meeting he had been invited to dine at the house of the senior partner in whose employ he was and as the awkward bashful young scotchman entered the firelit room a clear laugh from amongst a group of girls gathered round the hearth penetrated like music to his ear parting is such sweet sorrow said the voice with much pathos that i could say good-bye until the-morrow those are your sentiments katie are they not hush madge here is mr broderick waiting for us to speak to him and the daughter of the house rose with a laugh to greet him when the lamps were lighted fergus broderick had scanned all the girlish faces with furtive eagerness he had felt a shock of disappointment when the owner of the exquisite voice had revealed her identity madge's long nose and sallow skin were no beauty certainly nevertheless before the evening was over fergus broderick knew he had found his mate and for eight blissful years madge dwelt in her woman's kingdom and gathered more roses than thorns her first trouble had been the loss of her boy he had succumbed to some childish ailment her husband's death the result of an accident had followed a few months later the strain of the long nursing and excessive grief had broken down madge broderick's strength the seeds of an unsuspected disease latent in her system now showed itself and for some two or three years her sufferings both mental and physical would have killed most women then came alleviation and the law that resembles peace the pain was no longer so acute the disease had reached a stage when there would be days and even weeks of tolerable comfort then madge courageously set herself to make the most of her life with a courage that was almost heroic she divided and subdivided the hours of each day so many duties so many hours of recreation she had her charity work her fancy work her heavy and light reading books and flowers were her luxuries the newest books the sweetest flowers were always to be found on the table beside her couch madge often said laughingly that she lived in a world of her own but i have very good society she would add the best and wisest of all ages give me their company this morning i was listening to plato's dialogues and this afternoon sir edwin arnold was entertaining me at the maple club in tokyo 
this evening well please do not think me frivolous but affairs at rome and a certain prince sarasenevska claim my attention a good novel puts me in a better humour and disposes me to sleep you know she would finish brightly that i always read aloud to fergus in the evening we were going through a course of thackeray we were in the middle of philip on his way through the world when the accident happened after that he could only bear a few verses or a psalm End of chapter two